I'll invite your attention to the little epistle to Titus, from Paul to Titus. It's over near the end of the New Testament, after the epistles to Peter, I meant to Timothy, prior to uh, Hebrews and First and Second Peter. The uh, sermon really, the text really is the entire epistle, but I'll not read all of it, just two verses in the first chapter, verse uh, 12 and verse 5 in that order. So Titus chapter 1, and I I wish you would uh, spend some time reading this little epistle. And especially today, just keep it on your lap and we'll see the truth that's here. Verse 12, And one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains. Now Titus got left in Crete, a little island in the Mediterranean. It wasn't really the best place for a man to live and to raise his family. As a matter of fact, Paul says in verse 12, just summarizing what it's like in Crete, says one of your own folks, one of the Cretans themselves said, that all there are on Crete is, are uh, liars and lazy gluttons and evil beasts. That's a real, you know, put that in your chamber of commerce brochure and everybody want to go to Crete. Peter Lord said, you know, it wasn't, wasn't anything but a bunch of slobs in Crete. That's just, that's just about the way it was. Uh, lazy gluttons, idle beasts, and liars. And it seems like that that would be the very best reason why God wanted to get out of there. I mean, on the first plane out of Crete. But the Apostle Paul never shrank, nor did he want any of his followers to shrink from the challenge of a difficult task. And so he said, yeah, that's true, everything you've heard about Crete. And for that reason, I left you there in order that you might set in order the things that remain. Now, I don't have any basis for this, but I have a strong conviction that that the letter of Paul to Titus was in response to a letter that Titus had written Paul. I want you to imagine with me Titus writing Paul one day these words, Dear Paul, this is a terrible place to live. These people are in... They're intolerable. The Christian gospel doesn't have a chance in Crete. The Christian faith is hanging in shreds and tatters. Now, I'll stay here as long as you want me to, but I want to be honest with you, Paul. I'd like to get out of here as quick as possible. Happiness is seeing Crete in my rearview mirror. Don't let me stay here all winter, Paul. Get me out of Crete as fast as you can. Signed. Unhappily, but obediently, Titus. And he can't wait until he gets 
Paul's response. And so one day the mailman comes and he grabs the envelope with eager hands and tears open the envelope hoping that there'll be some plane tickets in there with his name on them out of Crete. But instead he gets this word from Paul, you're right, you couldn't say anything too bad for the Cretans. It's a horrible place to live. There's nobody there except gluttons, liars, and beasts. And that's why I want you in Crete. Now I want you to put yourself this morning in Titus's place. It wouldn't be hard because all of us have been there. We've been to Crete. We know where it is and what it's like. Your Crete is an unhappy situation. Crete is an impossible situation, an unbearable burden. Crete is a lingering illness or an unhappy marriage or a problem at home. We've all been to Crete. And for some of us, today that is our permanent address, Crete. And so we're wanting out. We're human beings. And the human response is to lash back, to get bitter, to complain, to want to get out of Crete as fast as we can, to escape from this miserable life we're having to live. And so the message comes from God fresh as this page. And God said, instead of getting out of Crete, why don't you make the best of that mess? Why don't you make out of the worst the very best? That's my sermon this morning, how to make the worst the best. And I think there's some clues that just come, um, you know, oozing out of the parchment uh, of this book. The first is this. The way to make the worst the best is by reminding ourselves that happiness is not what you find, but what you create. Now, if you begin with that principle, then you might as well create some happiness in Crete as anywhere else. I think Titus, because he was like us, when he landed in Crete, he was thinking to himself, I'm going to find me some happiness here. This is going to be a pleasant situation. I mean, I have a brand new church and, and the whole island is my parish. And this is going to be a pleasant situation. I mean, everything is going great. And so he heads down the streets of Crete looking for happiness. And he's foredoomed to disappointment because everything in Crete is conducive to unhappiness rather than happiness. Looking around him and his environment, he found nothing that would make him happy. He was foredoomed to, to disappointment and then one day this letter from Paul came that changed his inner attitude. And no longer did he walk the streets of Crete looking for happiness. He walked the streets of Crete looking for opportunities to create some. And he said to himself, now God has given me all of this raw material. I'll make the best out of this raw material. I'll make the best out of the worst. Two guys met one day. One said to the other, How's th how are things going? He said, well, not too bad under the circumstances. And his friend said, what are you doing under the circumstances? You ought to be on top of them. That's the secret to find within us the inner resources to get above the circumstances and to take the circumstances and create something good out of them. And somebody coined an interesting term called possibilitarian. 
And he applied this term to his friend who was like that. I mean, in every situation this man would ask, what are the possibilities here? What can I make out of this mess? And life hadn't been too good to this possibilitarian. I mean, he had suffered a crushing illness and the loss of his business, but he never admitted defeat. But in every situation, he'd just kind of survey the wreckage and he would say, what are the possibilities here? What, am I, what can I make out of this, this, this terrible mess? And if you're a child of God, you can ask yourself a deeper question. I mean, what is God trying to tell me out of all of this? And what can I make out of this raw material that will get him glory? Right there in your Crete. You tell me that you don't like your work, what you do? Well, join the crowd. 79% of the workforce in America doesn't like what they do. So that 8 out of 10 people here this morning would change jobs with you and in 6 months you'd be happy, unhappy in that job also. You tell me I don't like where I am, I don't like where I live, so what? Nobody around you is happy. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that read, Love your neighbors, it will drive them crazy. I mean, nobody around you is happy. Why don't you begin to try to spread some happiness where you are? You say you don't like where you are? Well, what are you doing about it? I mean, are you a part of the solution or the problem? You say you're unhappy in your marriage? Join the crowd. One out of every two marriages is headed for divorce. And yet marriage is the greatest opportunity to develop a friendship that is deeper than life. It's an opportunity to build a school of character, to enjoy the relationship with children that is more blessed than anything in this world. Now get on with it. That's what Paul told Titus. And right there in his Crete, he began with out of the creativeness of his own personality to bring something good out of it. And what happened? Well, churches were built in Crete. I mean, archaeologists this morning are still excavating those churches. And from those churches went out the gospel in its attempt to destroy paganism. And you know whose name is on the foundation of those churches? Titus's is. And you know whose shrine was built in Crete? Titus's was. They liked him there. They made him their bishop. And he went out to Dalmatia with his message right there in the place that he so severely despised and so desired to leave right in his Crete. For you see, happiness is not what you find. It's what you make. Life, existence is... is, 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 is what you find, life is what you create. Now when he got this letter, I know what, Paul, what Titus must have thought. He must have thought, hey, I understand it now. Paul wants me in Crete because that's where Jesus is needed. And that leads me to the second thing. In order to make the best out of the worst, you need to understand that where you are, God needs your witness. I mean... What better place to bear witness to the Spirit of Jesus than in Crete? I mean, if there ever was a place in God's good earth where Jesus was needed, it was in Crete. What better place than Crete to bear witness? R.G. Lee said a Christian in Crete was like a gardenia in a garbage can. It, they just stuck out like a sore thumb. 
How would you best picture the beauty of a gorgeous diamond than to put it against some black background? And in, 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 in the darkness of that paganism in Crete, the glory of the gospel shined like a sun. And when the people began to see how the transforming power of God could change Crete, they too believed. You're needed in Crete because Jesus is needed there. Has it ever occurred to you that the reason you are where you are and you're in the situation you're in is because, Jesus, because God needs a witness to Jesus there? Notice that Paul didn't say to Titus, these people are gluttons, lazy, and evil beasts. Now get out of there on the first plane. What he did say was, these people are gluttons, beasts, and liars. Now go convert them. For you see, Jesus was not needed in Crete in spite of the fact that these people were evil and liars and gluttons, but because they were. It occurred to me recently in light of all that's happening in our world at this time that the world is not that much impressed with our towers and our um, Christian recreation centers. What the, the world is not impressed with all that stuff. What the world is looking for is for somebody to model the gospel. The gospel had filtered down to Crete, that's for sure. I mean, even though it was a little isolated island and the Christian gospel is brand new, the gospel had filtered down to Crete. And these guys over in Crete, lazy beasts, gluttons, liars, they had been confronted with the gospel, no question about that. And what they were saying to themselves, I'm sure, was this. Now, is there anybody who can model this gospel for me? I, I, I hear about it and I read about it, but is there anybody who can model it for me? I want to see it. There have been a hundred years that this church has existed on this corner and there's been a preaching ministry gone out from this corner for almost a hundred years. There have been a hundred years of teaching in the Sunday school classes on this corner and yet this community is not much more Christian than it was when it first started, if, if not less and I'm absolutely certain of this thing, that what is necessary is not more preaching and more teaching, you know, essentially. What is necessary is for, for the folks of Durand and Crete to begin to model the gospel. And I'm certain of this, that if everybody in this congregation this morning would begin to model the gospel, and you model the gospel for six months, this whole town would be Christian. And he writes this whole book to that theme. That's what this book is about. In the first chapter, he said, I want you to appoint elders, and he tells them how to live. He said, I want you to tell old women, older women and younger women, older men and younger men how to live. He said, I want you to tell slaves how to live. I want you to, I want you to model Christianity in Crete. I want people to see Christ in Crete. I want people to see Christ in Durant. I want somebody to model it, he's saying. And he says over there in the second chapter that we're to adorn the gospel. It means to add to its attractiveness and its loveliness, to expose it and to reveal it. 
Now you hand me a musical score this morning that Mozart or Bach wrote. I don't have a slightest clue as to what it is. What it's about. I can't read one note of music. Couldn't find it on the piano. I wouldn't know a thing about it. But I could take that score, that musical score, and I could hand it over to Marianne, and she could put her hands on the keys of that organ, and all of a sudden, out of those pipes and out of that organ would come beautiful sounds just harmonizing together. And you know what she's done? She has adorned the musical score. I took the blueprints of this church building over here that we were going to build, and I was with those group, that group that was in charge of building that building. We were all looking at that blueprint, and I was faking it. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, we'll put that here. Yeah, that's where that belongs. You know, everybody was talking about that blueprint. I didn't have the slightest clue what I was looking at, just kind of going along, you know, faking it. You take that blueprint and the contractor comes in, the builder, and he starts putting up steel beams and bricks and, and mortar and wood. All of a sudden, that blueprint comes alive and you, you see it out there, what that contractor has done. He has adorned the plan of the blueprint, of the, of the architect, the blueprint. Now what Titus is about is this, that you are to take the gospel and begin to live it, adorn it, model it. And so that's the way you make the, the worst the best, by understanding that I am right where I am because that's where God has placed me in order for Jesus to be. That difficult marriage that unhappy home situation, that declining illness, that, that problem that you live under, there's where you're needed because that's where Jesus is needed. Can you imagine Jesus coming home one afternoon after a long day? I mean, those people are after Him. Pharisees are there trying to kill Him, trying to trap Him. Everybody's, you know, nobody trusts Him. Everybody's suspicious of Him. Some are curious. He comes home after a long day. His disciples are with him. All they're doing is fussing about place, as they often did. So Jesus goes out to the mountains. Determined that they're going to do to me what they did to the prophets before me. What voice would he have heard from heaven? He would have heard this voice from God. For that reason sent I thee into the world. And he never dodged Crete. In fact, the Bible says that the publicans and the sinners drew near to him. He attracted Crete to him. And he went looking for Crete because he never dodged Crete. Let me tell you something. Your Christianity is of no value if you're always dodging the difficult. Steve and Sally Dittmore were missionaries to Peru. Now that's not a very desirable place to live. In fact, somebody was telling me that he read that Peru was the graveyard of Southern Baptist missionaries. They go there and have such difficulty. It's, it's, it's almost you know, uh, life-threatening to, to live your life out in Peru. Steve and Sally Dittmore went there as missionaries. And one day uh, Steve Dittmore was going to a little village to preach and on his way he stopped in this other little village and he passed out tracts as was his custom. Now he didn't have long to stay in this little village because he was going, on his, going to another village so he just stayed a while, passed out tracts. Two years later, are you listening? Two years later he and his wife were in the chapel where they worshipped hundreds of miles from that little village where he passed out tracts. And a man there came forward at the invitation time and asked for baptism. 
And the pastor asked him about his salvation experience. And so he got up and he gave his testimony. He said, two years before, a gringo came to my village passing out tracts. He said, I didn't see him, but somebody gave me a track that he handed him. And on my way home out in the country, I was walking along the trail reading the track. He said, I became convicted that I was a sinner. And on that trail, I knelt down and received Jesus into my heart. He said, I wrote for a Bible and a, and a dictionary. And he said, I've been, I've been teaching the Bible by candlelight in my village for the last 18 months. He said, I have 80 converts. And he said, we noticed as we were reading the Bible that the first thing you need to do is to be baptized. And he said, we saw the name of this little chapel at the bottom of the, of the track. He said, I came here to see if you would baptize me and I'm going to go bab back and baptize my converts if that's all right. And so they baptized him. And Steve Dittmore said, that's not the end of the story. He said, I went with him out to the village and he said, I have never seen such raw faith and power in all of my life. Now, why would anybody go to some Peruvian Crete and plant their life? I mean, they probably don't even have a McDonald's out there. You know, and that's not saying, wait a minute, I better, they don't even have a McDonald's. They probably don't even get to cowboy games out there, you know, and that, why would anybody go out to a Peruvian Crete and spend the rest of his life there because he knows that's where Jesus is needed, so that's where he's needed. Now how can I make the best out of the worst? By understanding that God has placed me here wherever I am, wherever I am in order that a witness might be born to Christ. Third, the way to make the best out of the worst is by understanding that it is in Crete that God says His greatest words. It is in Crete that God says His greatest words. Now your Crete this morning may be a lingering illness and in the traction of that pain you may find no outward reason for it, no outward good. But let me tell you something. Even in the Crete of that lingering illness, there is spiritual benefit and blessing because oftentimes it is there that God says His greatest word. Do you know what Jesus, the only thing that Jesus said about Himself that just applied to Him? Now He said, I'm the door, and it applied that to somebody else. The only thing He said about Himself that applied only to Himself was this, I am meek, and lowly. Now oftentimes it is in a Crete that God teaches us how to be meek and lowly, teaches us humility. You ever been hospitalized? Now if that's not a humbling experience there is, there is no way to be humbled. I mean they give you that gown, it doesn't have a back, Kevin told me, no, he, well, he said he got his own backwards. Now, they give you this gown, and, and you, it has no back, and you've got to walk backwards everywhere you go. You, you, there's no way to be decent in one of those gowns. 
and they put you in this room. I mean, how do you how do you look elegant in one of those? And how do you make that room opulent? How do you make, how do you beautify it? I mean, you're reduced to commonality there. You sleep in the same bed, the same sheets, you use the same charts, same syringes, have the same nurses that everybody else has in the same condition. You're no better. And there in that Crete, you make this discovery how dependent you are upon God and upon others. The only thing that separates you from a night of restless sleep is a little freckle-faced nurse with a little pill bottle. And God says, Lay down, lie down here, son. I want to tell you something great. Charles Allen, the great Methodist preacher, said that one morning while he was shaving, he felt this tinge of pain in his back, went to the doctor. The doctor put him in the hospital, took away all of his sermons, all of his books, everything, television, everything for 30 days. Charles Allen said, one of my friends came in, looked at me, said, I just want to say one thing, Charlie. He maketh me to lie down. For poems are not written on busy street corners and songs are not composed in the thronging multitudes and Elijah didn't hear God's voice in the fire or the earthquake. It was when everything got still and, and, and David and, and Moses didn't hear God in the thronging multitude of, of Pharaoh's court but it was on the backside of the desert in the solitude of a burning bush that God said, Now Moses in this Crete Listen up, son. I'm going to tell you some of the greatest things you've ever heard. And sometimes our cretes are disappointments. In 2 Kings it says that the king of Judah and the king of Israel started off to the island of Ophir, a far off place. And then it says this, listen carefully, it said, And the ships did not sail because they were broken on the rocks. Have you ever been there where the ships of your life have just been smashed on the rocks of disappointment. But I have noticed that oftentimes our failures are more useful to God than our successes. And sometimes Crete is a sorrow and when you pick that cup of sorrow up and you press it to your lips and you drink the dregs of that sorrow, you're going to learn things from God you would never learn otherwise. And all of us shall. And when we put that cup to our lips, God says to us, there's some things more important in life than the things you count important. I was preaching a revival out in West Texas and I met this couple whose son was killed. They were on their way home from church and this little boy was killed in a car wreck. I asked that couple, I said, well, what is God saying to you now? And they said, well, we've learned one thing. God has said to us one thing, that is, that the things that we counted important in the world no longer are attractive to us. John Vassar, when it said, When I laid down little Johnny out of my arms into the arms of the Father, me and the world parted company forever. And so God takes us to Crete, and there He tells us, Lie down, son, listen, son, in the solitude and the loneliness and the heartache of this, if you'll tune in, I've got some great things I want to tell you. 
That's how you make the worst the best. One last thought. By understanding that the ultimate test of a man's faith is its power to see him through a hard place. I need to say that again. The ultimate test of your faith in God is its power to see you through a hard place. So without the hard place, without the crete, your faith could never be proved. Do you know that? You don't prove your faith by coming to church and the sun shining. You prove your faith in the hard place. There's a story about a little boy who couldn't sleep at night. He had the same nightmare. In his nightmare, there was this tiger. And he was afraid of it. He was afraid he was going to be hurt by the tiger. A, sci a child psychologist was called in. The child psychologist visited with him several times. And then he told him one day, he said, Son, that tiger wants to be your friend. He said, tonight when you sleep, if the tiger is there in your dreams, reach out your hand and say to the tiger, Hello, old chap. And that night they were watching. As the boy got in his deep sleep, he began to stir. He was restless and frightened. They knew the tiger had returned to his dreams. And all of a sudden, a little hand reached out from the bed covers and his little lips mumbled, Hello there, old chap. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to reach out your hand of faith and make friends with your tiger. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to reach out your hand of faith and make friends with your Crete. You don't like where you are? You don't like the way it is? You're not happy in your situation? Your normal reaction is to get bitter, lash out, blame others, grumble, complain, criticize. How about setting in order, the word means in military alignment, how about setting in order the things that remain? How about reaching out your hand this morning and doing something positive in Crete? And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when you do. You're going to feel better and your world is going to be better. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now in the quietness of this moment to let us know that you have a will for us and a plan for us and give us grace, the grace and the courage to respond to the offer, to the challenge, to the voice, to the message to get on with the business of making the worst the best. I pray, Father, for men and women who will model the gospel in Crete, who in every situation where they are, they'll bear witness to Jesus Christ in the actions and the attitude of their life, that Crete may come to know the Lord because of us. For I pray in the name of Jesus and ask it for his sake.
Now I'm going to ask you to consider these invitations this morning. The first invitation is an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And God has placed you in this situation, in this time, under these circumstances, in order that He might show Himself adequate to save you. He might show Himself sufficient for your need. The great need that you have today is for a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Would you claim Him, confess Him as your Savior today? The second in invitation is for those who need to transfer membership, become a part of a fellowship of believers. Or maybe you need to come this morning to rededicate your life to Christ, to just tell Him you're sorry that you haven't been what you were to be what He has wanted you, desired for you, planned for you. You want to rededicate yourself to Christ, to be His witness in the creeds of the world. Would you do it while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.